Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the award-nominated beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I am your host, beauty journalist Brittany Stewart. If you are new here or you just need a recap, each episode I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. The ones they take to a desert island or beauty island that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the first beauty product they ever bought, the one that gives them their signature look or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. Today, my guest is comedian, radio host and author Tanya Hennessy. You may have heard her voice on radio, seen one of her brilliant videos on social media or maybe even caught her earlier this year on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, Australia. Yes, that was this year. She went viral seemingly overnight in 2017 after posting a parody video called Everyday Makeup Tutorial. But the story of her career and where she got to today started long before then. And in an era obsessed with internet and overnight success, hers is truly a fascinating one. We talked cutting her own Rachel haircut as a teen, the $12 mascara she claims is better than Dior's, and her funny and refreshing take on the self-help genre with her second and brand new book, Help Self, out today. If you enjoy this episode, please rate and write a review, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribe on Spotify if you haven't already. You can also recommend to a friend or many friends by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on your Instagram story. Don't forget to tag at Beauty Island Podcast so I can see as an independent podcast that those things really help more people to discover the podcast, which means I can keep making it for you. I also have a regular beauty newsletter called It's a Beauty. The link to sign up is in the show notes. Now over to Tanya. Enjoy. I thought it was very timely as well because obviously in the on the cover of your new book, makeup features quite heavily that bright, bold pink lipstick all over your face. Well, I really wanted to do a makeup, like I wanted to do a lipstick and sell it with the book. But yeah, the idea behind the uh, lipstick, so I've got this like heart around my face with lipstick. The idea was meant to be that, you know, you still kind of feel like you're playing with your mum's makeup. You don't feel like you're an adult yet. You're still kind of fiddling around and you're not 100% drawing inside the lines yet. I love that. That's so clever. Well, that is actually my first question. So Tanya, why don't we jump right in? Welcome to Beauty Island. I'm very excited to be I'm here. I'm on the island. The island. <laughs> you are on the island. With trees that are mascara. Giant mascara ones. You've set the scene for everyone. You are sailing towards this island with mascara trees. And I think maybe the island is just a big bronzer dish. That oh, works. Yes. And the pools, the concealer. Yeah. And all the cocktails are really, really nicely blended eyeshadows. Chuck some collagen in there. It's a very beautiful place. <laughs> well, I want to go to Beauty Island immediately. So you were mentioning there, obviously, this idea of, you know, even as adults still inside, we are children playing with makeup. So I suppose a good place to start is that first memory of beauty for you. Did the women in your family have much interest in beauty or what was kind of your first beauty memory that you can recall? Uh, you know, I used to do um, pantomimes when I was a kid. <laughs> I was so bad in all of them. So mum used to put the makeup on me when I was a, like, I did dancing when I was like three or four and mum used to put makeup on me and it was just so little. It was probably over the top for them because like what kids wear now is like full lashes contour like these kids are like living mascara and blush like oh mum would call it rouge <laughs> rouge and that's a memory I have from childhood my mum putting rouge on before she went to work and calling it rouge and me being like what the fuck is rouge <laughs> and she just put on so much because it was like like well I was 85 so at the time my first consciousness would have been like in the 90s maybe and the first product on your list is another one that you grew up kind of seeing your mom or your grandma or someone apply, which for you is eyebrows. So tell me a bit about what was going on there. I think that my mum didn't have a strong brow. 
So she was always putting on eyebrow pencil and she still does to this day. And I've tried to give her benefit because I think like they do some fierce brow work. And so I tried to give her gimme brow and she, she won't use it. She's just really addicted to her like chemist brown liner she has you know I think sometimes that's what happens you kind of get stuck and especially for that generation we've got so much variety but they're really stuck in a supermarket not all of them but like you know they're they're really addicted to the products that they've bought and they just buy the same one over and over again and our generation is really like hey you've got to use by date on makeup they don't believe that my mom has like the same stuff from when I was a kid and I'm 35 I think there would be a few of those. But yeah, you're right. It's so the choice is so overwhelming now. I can imagine a lot of people just if it ain't broke, they're not going to fix it. They'll just stick with what they know. Yeah, and a part of me thinks maybe it is marketing as well. I watched this um musical when I was in New York. It was called War Paint, and it was a musical, Brittany, I shit you not. It was a musical about makeup. I know. Ooh. It was about Elizabeth Ardern and Helena Rubinstein and their big fight during the 80s and it was the funniest musical she was like don't you leave your concealing your emotions with translucent powder you're so translucent like translucent powder to me like it was the weirdest thing and, and, and it also discussed in there that date and night cream was a marketing tool wow and I was like oh my gosh of course it's a marketing tool she's like all you need to do is put a, a day cream in a a blue container and people think it's a night cream and you've doubled your sales. And ever since then I've looked at cosmetics maybe slightly differently and, you know, you, you a bit gotta, more of a discerning eye. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've got to have to, especially because there's so many products and girl, I would buy everything. I don't even wear half of it. I just love makeup and co- like uh, pharmaceuticals, you name it, whatever I've got to put on the face, I'm here for it. Skincare, love it. Talk to me a bit about young and early teenage Tanya. You talked about kind of doing pantomimes as a child. Was that kind of passion for performance there from the beginning for you? Oh, deaf, deaf. I'm uh, still trying to retain my youth there. Um, <laughs> still young. I used to do, you know, performances for my mum. I remember performing part of your world from The Little Mermaid for my parents, like just over and over again when I was like five they were like, thanks, Tanya. And I was like, I'll sing it again. And they're like, no, God, no, please stop. Uh, so, yeah, I performed a lot as a kid. And then my mum was just like fed up with this really dramatic child that she tried to get me into youth theatre. And that's when I started to do pantomimes and stuff when I was a kid. And then when I went to, I went to a performing arts high school as well. And so we did a lot of shows and stuff at, at theatre. And I actually did a... Um, a course in clown makeup and theatrical makeup and scars and bruises and burns. Like Wow, I, so that kind of special effects kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I, I still like <laughs> I could do it if I needed to, like, weirdly enough, because I watched Glow Up and they did like a, an episode where they had to do uh, like wax special effects and I was like, I could do that, weirdly enough. That's so cool. I love it. I think makeup is transformative and I think as a performer it's so essential and that's sort of how I got really into makeup as a a, a tool to sort of – I was such a nervous kid. Even though I was a really performative kid, I was very nervous as well. So when you put on makeup, sometimes it it is like as that weird musical would indicate war paint, you know, you could like put it on and become somebody else. And that sort of helps me even to this day. If I don't have makeup on, I'm not like performing – but if I do, I'm like on camera, so I'm performing. So it kind of does draw a line in the sand for me. That's so interesting. It becomes like an, a switch almost for you that you're like you're the on Tanya or. Yeah, like the Sasha Fierce, if you know what I mean. Like <laughs> if, you've, if I've got lashes on, if I can't really see out of one eye, I'm probably meant to be on camera, so I should probably turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> and I think for uh, maybe not so much for the current generation, but for most of us, those kind of teenage and early years are prime time for, should we say, beauty experimentation with hair colours and whatever. If you were to take us through your teenage albums, are there any looks that you would, you look on fondly or not so fondly that you kind of tried in that time? I don't know. What did you you do? I I cut my hair like off, like I really wanted like a pixie cut and I don't have the face for a pixie cut. God love me. I gave it a crack. Real short, really short. Like I'm talking like three inches, two inches short and then dyed it from a box 
blonde with like a nap- napro country color. So I went that like orange shade. Oh, and I used to put like butterfly lips in it. And oh my God, just I look back and I'm like, you poor girl, you poor girl. Anyway, that's why I've never been blonde since. Just uh, ruined it for you. Oh, just my hair throws too much red to be blonde. I said, you've probably spoken about your own experience. What did you do? I'm interested. I had the uh, uh, very orange Maybelline Matte Mousse Foundation and I have, you can't see, but I have very curly hair and I used to straighten my hair to recurl it and then, you know, this very straight side fringe that covered half your face. That's oh, my kind of. <laughs> I that. I forgot yeah. about that weird, like almost emo fringe. Yeah, yeah, very close to it. <laughs> I, straight, I straighten my curly hair to recurl. It is the most stupid thing but like that's what you do when you you know what I mean you do yeah. stuff like also you got more time when you're a teenager so like tend to do what else are you gonna do <laughs> what else are you gonna do you know what I mean and I wasn't like a naughty kid so like yeah yeah I was always like doing dumb stuff like that as well I used to cut my own hair but this one time I was like oh I could do my, the Rachel myself no <laughs> no I could not the second product on your list are kind of the two pro- uh, products, the first products that you remember buying yourself. And you've got the pink and green Maybelline mascara, which I think is their iconic Great Lash mascara. Great and lash. the Australis pinky brown lipstick, bringing back to the child pantomime. So tell me a bit more about those two. I just remember having that mascara. You know, what's one of those things where you're like, I don't, I don't remember how I got it, but I remember being like, I need that. And the matte mousse, I remember having the matte mousse as well, only because the texture was so good. Yeah. It was amazing. I don't know. It was gross. I wonder, they should probably bring that back out. They would sell so much of that if they brought it back out. I was going to say, I think they briefly did. And I've always thought about it that obviously it was so much fun, but there must be a reason that, you know, every brand doesn't have a mousse foundation. Maybe <laughs> maybe it doesn't end up being the best formula, <laughs> but it's fun to use. So- so true, but don't you find like all of that sort of like Revlon, you know, Rimmel, um, L'Oreal sort of world, they always bring out like a weird texture. They're like, well, matte mousse, dewy highlighter, but also very matte. Gel <laughs> <laughs> balm. You know what I mean? It's got every word under the sun in it. And you're like, what is this? And then like the next season, they're like the new and improved glossy face balm that's also a primer like you know and it's like the the textures are weird they're like water texture what water hydro balm apply this anyway I remember being a kid and being a teenager and using do you remember um Sally Henson she used to do um like a leg spray yeah the airbrush Airbrush leg thing I used to use that as a foundation Wow. I mean, it's innovation, isn't it? You'd have it on very quickly. Yeah. And then I think Dior came out with a, an airbrush vibe as well. But I remember my friend being like, babe's got a beauty tip for you. Use the same stuff you do on your legs on your face. And girl, it was like terracotta color and airbrush to filth. Like a, you couldn't, no pores visible. I was a child, what pores did I have? You know what I mean? Like, it's so weird. I think back now, I'm like, why well, don't I even wear makeup? Like, not that I really did. I didn't. I did you wear makeup at school? I think it was probably about year seven where you could kind of sneak a bit of mascara and concealer on. Yeah. Well, like I, I don't know. I was always like, I like it, but not if I don't have to. Like when I, when I was in the jungle, I did. I'm a celeb this year, and they were like, oh, you know, everyone can wear a foundation or a, a CC cream or a BB cream in the jungle, and I was like, nah. <laughs> I was like, nah. If I'm if I'm gonna show my bare face to the country. I, I kind of want people to see that in a way. You know, I was going to ask you, I'm a celeb, and you said this year. I honestly thought it was last year, which just goes to show 2020 has no sense of time whatsoever. I can't believe that was the start of this year. Oh, yeah, people always say that to me. They're like, oh, how was the jungle last year? I was like, it was this year and traumatising. <laughs> yeah, it was so weird that it was this year. You know, when you're in there, you're like, because you get isolated before you go in. And you very much like can't talk to anyone because they don't want you to leave. And I was like, oh, this will be the only time I'm ever isolated in my life. <laughs> nope. Did that make this time harder or easier having easier. slightly been there before? Yeah, well, because I was like, oh, this is like isolated but with food. I'm fine. 
And you were, I was going to say, you probably uh, ate a lot better in this isolation than in the jungle. <laughs> too much. Too much. I've eaten too much. I think most people have. Where, where, where are you? I'm in Melbourne, so it's been a, a bit of a slog. <laughs> but you're free. It's all very exciting. Woohoo! We will come back to your time in the jungle, but we are going to kind of do your final teen products. So you mentioned that you obviously studied theatre, and I know that you had a few creative jobs. You told business chicks those included a stilt walker and a clown at Luna Park. So tell me about those very early years in the industry, establishing yourself, establishing your career. Oh, yeah. So I was like, when I started at Luna Park, maybe I was like 22. Yeah, 22. And like I auditioned for everything. So it was actually an actor. And I auditioned for everything. And I just couldn't get anything. And I had some friends because my theatre degree was really like open. So I had some friends who did like circus skills and friends who were stage managers, production managers, you know. And because our degree was so open, I was doing stage managing as well. I stage managed Little Women, the musical. What else did I stage manage? I stage managed a show like an Andrew Lloyd Webber show that toured both both of them I managed to have a costume and be on stage though. Like figure that one out. Like literally hilarious. Um, but when I started at Luna, I, I was sort of just doing it for money um, and that was a lot of makeup, doing like, you know, the full, the white pancake. Oh, gosh, and it would never come up. You'd always have like a white cast on your face. It was so gross. And then I just learned to stilt walk because you got paid more money. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? I was like, oh, I could get paid more money if I'm a stilt walker. And uh, when you're a stilt walker, you do uh, 20 minutes on, like in the park, and 40 minutes off. And I was like, 40 minutes doing nothing? Sign me up. So I, I found stilt walking incredibly difficult at first, but I knew that I could do nothing for 40 minutes of the hour. So it really propelled me to learn to stilt walk um you know and those times were really great like I really missed that I think if I could go back in time and give myself some advice in the beginning of my career it would have been like slow down and calm down and enjoy this because it felt like such a race to get somewhere and once you're there you're there and but at the time you don't know you're gonna get there so uh, it's a bit of a catch-22 The third product on your list is the final one from Young Tanya, which is the one that defines your teens, which for you is black eyeliner, which I think all of us can relate to. We had some kind of version of it. So is this a feline flick? Is this just lots of eyeliner? Are we talking a crayon, a liquid? Tell me about your black eyeliner days as a teen. I think it was like a like an Astralis number. And you know when you would um couldn't quite do the, the smoky eye, so you just sort of blend it with your finger? <laughs> that kind of like you put it under your eye and you kind of look like you're hungover. I always used to think after a a big night, I used to think, God, I look better the second day. (laughs) I was trying to replicate the second day on the first day, if that makes any sense. And that's how I used to, like not every day, but like, you know, every once in a while I go to school like, oh, oh, I'm so angsty. But also, you know, I thought I looked sexy. (laughs) Jesus. We've all been there. We've all been there. (laughs) As you were just saying before, I think it's kind of very easy for people to look at you now and just see, you know, the success of the last few years and assume that that's what happened as soon as you kind of finish school or whatever. But obviously there is uh, so much continuous hard work before that. So before the video that kind of blew everything up, were you where you wanted to be? Were you happy with how things were going? Yeah, I mean, I think it's so weird because I was working in radio the whole time that I was doing video content. So people were like, you're this internet star. I hate that word, but like internet personality. And I was like, I've like been flogging and slogging and like dying because of the hours doing breakfast radio for seven years. So I'd been doing radio seven years by the time that video went really wild so it was a bit bizarre for me for people to be calling me like internet I was like internet radio you assholes so yeah I mean it's been a massive slog I think people love to use the word overnight sensation but only because it's really convenient um and easy and quick to to say about somebody it's so I mean imagine a headline that's like woman works really hard and then ends up somewhere where she probably wanted to be <laughs> I mean, not uh, quite a fairy tale. Yeah, the simplification sometimes makes for a better headline, and it sucks, but I get it. 
<laughs> and <laughs> a woman works hard and ends up what she wants to do. <laughs> if only. Um, so I know that you, you, you've talked about it a lot, but that video that kind of did change everything was very timely because it was beauty related. You uh, yeah, did an, an everyday makeup tutorial that I think really captured the, it didn't necessarily poke f- fun at, but it captured the comedy and re- kind of ridiculousness of some of the aspects of beauty YouTube culture, which I think it was, you know, 2017 was very much at its mm. prime. Wasn't it? It's like that was like Nikki tutorials, sort of like she was killer. She still is, but yeah. And um, Chloe Morello, like it was just like if you're not a beauty influencer, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> everyone was a beauty influencer. And it's now been viewed, I think, close to nearly 400 million times. So mm. tell me about because I imagine that you probably didn't uh, predict that it would go quite so well. So what was your reaction? Because I think it we talked about the overnight success, but it really was you woke up the next day and it had kind of gone <laughs> gangbusters. Yeah, I did wake up the next day and I was like, oh shit. Yeah, because I, I, I didn't think it was very good. I had this idea for it and I, uh, when I was filming it, I was like, oh, it's not as funny as I thought it would be. Um, and it was really long and I was like, oh, I'll just throw it up on the internet. It was, I was about to go to work the next day. It was a Sunday. So I was, you know, I had to get up early at like three the next day, three thirty or four or whatever. And I, um, I just posted it at 10 o'clock at night. I was like, oh, no one's on the internet. It'll sort of go under the radar and I can just move on. But it did the opposite of that because everyone in the States was awake. So that's why I have such a big audience in America, which is really wild so when I go to the States, people recognize me and it's fucking weird. Wow. You'd just weird. be walking down the street. Yeah, not everywhere, obviously. But like I remember like when I was in Times Square, I went to buy some tickets to a show and the lady I bought the tickets from was like, oh, Tanya, I follow you online. I was like, what? Um, and I, I was in an airport in San Francisco and this chick was like, oh, my God, Tanya, I can't. Like I knew you were in San Francisco, but I didn't know you'd be like leaving. And um, she's like, can I get a photo? And I was like, this is like, my friends think it's so weird. I, no one thinks it's weirder than I do. Though. <laughs> the country and people knowing your fucking name is the weirdest thing ever. Like, mm. And I think it's interesting because obviously all the, the videos that you've done over the years have covered kind of all kinds of topics, but you really have this knack for particularly the beauty, whether it's hairdressers or massage therapists or makeup artists, that is kind of instantly relatable and performs so well. So what do you think it is about the beauty angle that you think people love or relate to so much? I'm not sure. I, I just say what I think and maybe those thoughts are somewhat relatable. I, I love like makeup artists, beauticians, massage therapists, like all of that industry, hairdressers, that whole industry, just like I am obsessed with the people in the industry. Like, you know, when you roll in to do TV or whatever, like I'm always just like anxious as hell. The makeup artists will always make you feel better. They're the first person you see. Um, And so I think I've got like a lot of love. So it comes from a place of like empathy and love and adoration so I hopefully when people see it, they know it's coming from their perspective as well. So a lot of it's like things people say to makeup artists, thoughts you have as a hairdresser. They're all about the individual. Like so it's sort of like less of, yeah, it's celebrating them as opposed to anything. And I think people see it that they see themselves, they're like, oh, I'm that, I'm that client. Should I do that? Or the hairdresser's like, oh, that's what I go through every day. And they're just like special people, people who like sit and do people's hair and listen to their stories for years and years and years. Like they're like amazing people and probably have saved many a life and they don't even realise. Like the amount of times I have like told way too much information to a hairdresser (laughs) but it's actually helped me is like unbelievable. Like, yeah, I just just like love them. So it comes from a place of love and I, I hopefully think that's where the connection comes from. Exactly. It's it's very much uh, always good natured, like you said, a celebration. And on the, uh, this is a much more literal interpretation of it, but on the point of hairdressers saving lives, it actually is a thing. I've interviewed a couple of hairdressers who have actually spotted melanoma on signs oh, of melanoma shit. on their on their clients because you're looking at and so closely at places that you can't see yourself. <gasps> and I've actually been the reason that someone got it checked and got it treated. So hairdressers really are like a, a community service beyond. They are, they are. And you know, sometimes like, people are having a shit day and you go to the hairdressers and it's all about you. You know, they're doing your hair and you might go, oh, I just got to get my greys done. But it's something about pampering yourself and feeling 
you know, feeling better about yourself. And hairdressers do that, and it's such a nice experience. And I don't know, I think they should be more rewarded than they are. I just honestly, I'm fucking obsessed with hairdressers. <laughs> Literally, all my content is about hairdressers. And I think every time I go into a hairdressing salon, they're like, Are you obsessed with us? I'm like, Yes. Yes. I love you guys. The fourth product on your list is the perfume that you love or has a special memory for you, which for you is J'adore. So tell me about why you love this or what this kind of uh, uh, sparks memory for you. Oh, I was on a cruise ship when I was 15 and it was cheap and my mum bought it for me. Well, not like super cheap, but I remember being like, I'm fancy as fuck. Like I have Christian Dior on. I'm very fancy. J'adore means love in French. You know what I mean? Like I was so up myself. <laughs> it really is. Perfume is is nearly always kind of that first product that's like, I'm a grown up now. Like I have my own perfume. Yeah. When I was a kid, I used to make my own. Did you ever do that? Like. What were you mixing? What were you well, concocting? Like anything. Like I would get like flowers from the garden. I'm talking like I was a kid kid. Um, and I would like mush them all up with like like mum's anayane and then try and sell it back to her with like mushed up flowers in it. She's like, no, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've always tried. To, <laughs> I don't know. I've always tried to be a bit of a salesman. My dad works in business, so he's always got like a business idea. So I'm like, oh, well, I've got, I've got a great one. What about mushed up flowers with an already existing perfume? <laughs> <laughs> that, um, so that everyday makeup tutorial started like, this incredible next chapter of your career. How does it feel to look back on that early stuff? Can you watch it or do you stay away from watching those early videos? No, I don't really watch any of it, to be honest. Uh, it comes up because it's the first, it's pinned to the top of my Facebook page. So I do see it, but I don't watch it. Does that make sense? I can see the, I, I could see what I was wearing and I remember where I was filming it and I remember how I was feeling that day and I'm really grateful that I posted it and I'm really grateful that people connected to it more than anything. Like, because all I've ever wanted was a, a platform to be able to create. And it, I already had that on radio, but it sort of gave me my own. So I, I felt a little bit more, what's the word, like able to do it by myself. Like, you know, if I, if that video never had gone viral, I would have been a slave to the radio stations, but now I'm not. Allowed you to do things on your own terms, yeah. Yeah. And, like, to be honest with you, I loved radio. I had, Like, if I worked in radio still, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I loved it. So I guess I was, like, fortunate enough to, like, you know, have the best of both worlds and then, yeah. I, I do feel very grateful and blessed, you know. Blessed? Kill me. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. <laughs> I'm really blessed, guys. Obviously, you've done so many incredible things since then, which we'll go into a bit more details soon but when you kind of look back at what you've done since then is there a particular milestone or achievement or moment that really stands out stands out as that ultimate kind of pinch me moment like I can't believe I got to do that or I did that um it sounds so dumb but probably I've got two one was winning the ACRA which is the Australian Commercial Radio Award for best entertaining entertainment presenter um just because I worked so hard in radio, like I think a lot of people wouldn't realise, like after that video went viral, yes, I was doing video content, but I was also and mainly doing radio. And like that was, I put everything into that, more than I did on social. Like I was so lazy on social and it just blew up. You know what I mean? And then I worked so hard at radio. So like I know it sounds bizarre, but I always wanted to win an ACRA. And the fact that I won one for like the best category was like, mind-boggling I still look at it and I'm like what the fuck I'd never won a trophy till I was like till that trophy and I was 32 you know I never played sport as a kid so it's like my first trophy and the other one is my books like the fact that I've written two books and published two books is pretty unbelievable my mum's a librarian so I grew up with books I'm a big reader um so the fact that I've got two books in a library that my mum actually works at is pretty well, one is there now uh, and one will be there in a couple of weeks. And it's like, you know, like that's pretty crazy that I managed to contribute to the thing that I read so much as a kid, you know. That's incredible. Do you think, is your mum the kind of person that if she happens to be checking one of your books out to someone, she'll go, 
that's my daughter or oh, yeah. I know this author. <laughs> oh, yeah. The fifth product on your list is the one that you always repurchase, which for you is a MAC foundation. So tell me which one it is and why, you, why you're always repurchasing it. It's Studio Fix. It's like the thing Classic. that I make up, you know, and I just had it when I was a kid, you know, when like I started doing pantomimes and someone, you know, some old theatre kid was like, I'll tell you what works, Studio Fix. It's what other professionals wear. Because she was, you know, from the 1940s with a cigar. Um, and ever since then, I've just purchased it. It is like, it is on there. It's matte. It's just, it's like, you don't need a lot of it. That's just the best. I love it. And do you apply with hands, brush, sponge, beauty blender? What's your preference for foundation? Uh, I love a brush. Do, do you ever feel fancy with a brush? <laughs> I just yeah. like the feeling of a brush. <laughs> going across your face yeah also kind of like uh love washing brushes I used to hate it but then I did this that video where I was like I never brush wash my brushes but people were like you're disgusting and I got sent all these brush cleaner and now it's like my favorite thing to do is clean my brushes <laughs> very satisfying yeah not all of them not all the time but when I do I'm like oh this is for me why don't I do this more regularly <laughs> So you work with uh, Priceline as an ambassador and you've also collaborated with Models Prefer for your own beauty collection, the Carb Collection. Obviously, you've always had that interest in beauty and kind of been working with it in some aspect. But what's the best beauty tip or, to quote Kylie Jenner, realisation that you've had about beauty when you're working alongside these top beauty experts on these projects is there anything like any any tip or anything that you learned that you're like wow I really like eyeshadow primer as a person who like doesn't know a lot about makeup I find that once I use the eyeshadow primer I could actually like blend slightly better it does actually work so like that's one thing and then also the other thing I like is like using a a, a bronzer to do the, your eyes you contour and like just a bit of color and then it kind of unifies your face and I kind of like that. Also, you know what, I have a, make, a makeup artist. Uh, he works at Nine by Normie is his Instagram. He uses a eyeshadow, like a fluffy eyeshadow brush to apply lip balm and it was like a game changer for me. I was like, this is so nice to apply it this way. That's clever. I like the sound of that. Yeah, not like super, super fluffy, like a like a packer brush actually, more like a pa well, but you could go. Anyway, it was just like a game changer. I was like, this is the funnest thing to apply. It feels nice. <laughs> <laughs> we've got, yeah, we've got two of your products there, your greatest discovery, which is eyeshadow primer and your confidence boost or your signature look, which is contour. So is there a particular eyeshadow primer that you favor or just the category just the category um nyx does a good one mac does a good one and then i'm just obsessed with contour because i have just an addiction to food and i've put on a lot of weight in the public eye which has been kind of hard and contour just gives you the illusion of one chin which i super appreciate it is magic isn't it it is magical it just gives you that sculpt the the, the sculpt i'm all about it i'm here for it and I think that's an important point that uh, beauty is not just makeup. Like you were saying before, it is that kind of transformation, but it also is also about kind of having power and confidence over yourself. I'm really intrigued. How has your relationship with beauty in that sense changed over the years, if at all? Yeah. I mean, like whenever I did like my stand-up show, I always wore makeup. So it's just, I definitely use it as like a I, I love the name War Paint. I definitely I think I'm gonna, if I have a makeup line, like my own, I'm 100% calling it that. <laughs> Maybe that already exists. That probably already exists. Uh, but I like to put it on to signify that I've got to do something. Does that make sense? As opposed to just I'm not I'm not one to put it on every day. I don't know why. I, I kind of obsessed with like color though. Like I love um, Makeup Revolution. Like all their color palettes. I don't know. Any chance to wear makeup is a fun time, but also I'm fine not wearing it as well. I actually think when I did my collaboration, I think I wrote something like, enjoy this makeup, wear it if you want to, but also you don't have to. That's refreshing. That's so refreshing to see in it the makeup line. It was like a thing. Like my palette that I did with um, Models Prefer for Priceline is like my favourite palette 
it's like the best and I love it when I see other people using it and it's always the same color that everyone's like ran out of which is really cool because I'm like yes I got something right because I wanted to make something that was really like I was so hands-on on this I want to make something that was really like universally good that you could go from like the office to a drag show in one palette but also like you know have it do it for kids dance concerts because there's a glitter in there but it's also really neutral so you could I don't know, like put their makeup on for a school concert or whatever. I felt like I felt like there was not enough makeup that was relatable. Every makeup seems to be managed and sorry, marketed as luxe and high end. I was like, wouldn't it be fun if makeup was marketed just in a more like, hey, wear it if you want to, don't wear it if you don't want to, vibe. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. And hopefully, I will do more with those guys. Um, but it'll be in that same space of funny, easy. Wear it if you want it, don't it if you don't. And it's not luxe, it's just usable, user-friendly. Made to be worn, yeah, made to be worn, which is what makeup should be. Yeah. If you want to, as wrong. you were saying. I love, it. I love a luxe experience as well. <laughs> but that's not what this makeup is. We talked a little bit before about your appearance on I'm a Celebrity Australia earlier this year. I said even though we thought it was last year. <laughs> even though we thought it was last year. I imagine it was, I mean, speaking of kind of, I don't know whether profound is the word, but that kind of real transformation, it's definitely a unique experience. Did it change the way that you approach anything in your life, your time in there? It made me really grateful because I was like, some people live like this. Some people live without running water and people live without money to buy food for their entire family and people live, you know, without so many things. And I'm so grateful and lucky to have so much it's actually the one thing that's made me that's changed me the most from that experience is that I've donated a lot more money this year to charity and a lot of money to homelessness than I like ever have before because it gave me so much empathy for people so yeah it's, it's, it's it was a bit of a reality I'm, like a good person. I'm, not, I'm a true dick but <laughs> and on the kind of slightly more uh lighter side on the on the beauty side of things you obviously mentioned that you were allowed to take some stuff in but you were like nah I'll just don't need it what did was there anything that on the beauty side of things that you did kind of miss at all oh my god yes skincare you would have had some like sunscreen and stuff right yeah in, right. Um, sun, yeah. like all of it is um environmentally friendly which is because because you're in the middle of Kruger National Park so even the soap none of it has a super active ingredient because it's got to be absorbed into the environment so like you can't have anything even when we do big trials and it's really like whatever's on it on us might be like tar or you know some, some something gross you're not allowed to shower outside they put you in a medical shower so it doesn't go into the environment so ed- anything we used wasn't super like what I really wanted in there was an exfoliant oh my god <laughs> oh my god I wanted an exfoliant it's so freaking bad I remember like just one day actually I don't think this ever aired but they gave us a bunch of masks like eye masks and lip masks and stuff I've not actually seen the show back did that air I don't know if I saw that specific yeah I don't think it did air I didn't remember. want to put eye mask on because I was dirty I was like I need to like do my routine and then I was like god like how funny is that you know some people don't have that luxury this is what I'm saying like it really like shifted the way I, I thought about people and how lucky and grateful I am to live the way I do. The eighth product on your list is the one that you would trust with your life, which for you is your mascara for models prefer. So tell me about what stand particularly stand out about this mascara. This mascara, I don't know what is in it. It is the best mascara. So I sweat so much. It's so gross. And I always, because my lashes are really long as well, they often get like um, rub off on the top of my lid and on the bottom you know you sort of get that weepy eye this mascara just doesn't do that it it doesn't it's not tubey I don't know what it is I don't know this mascara is unbelievable and everyone who uses is obsessed with this mascara I think they're going to bring it out again because the formula was so good actually can I tell you models prefer formula waterproof formula if you can't get your hands on like the Tanya Hennessy for models prefer get just the waterproof from models prefer it is fucking insanely good I don't know what the formula has it, it like lengthens it it doesn't smudge it doesn't oh uh, I don't know what is in it it's so, rounder I've used like fucking $70 Dior nowhere near as good as this like $15 masterpiece 
<laughs> is your one is the wand like is it thinner and long is it a big fat brush what's the what's the wand like it's 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 if you know it's latexy you know it's like yeah the, the rubber yeah rubbery I know yeah. what you mean I couldn't but it's <sighs> so good I, I I gave it to Charlotte Crosby when she when we got out of the jungle because she has a makeup line and I was like oh I've got one too sort of it just was like a capsule collection it's sort of not available anymore um she's like send it to me and I was like okay and I actually I gave it to her she came to my house and I gave it to her um and then she did this like massive like story being like Tanya this mascara is ridiculous I know so good she said it like this Tanya no I We'll we'll save the Geordie actions for another time. <laughs> She's so good. I love her voice. I'm a kind of I miss her voice. I always um like voice mail her like uh, you know on WhatsApp just so I can hear her talk. <laughs> She's got such a Aww. good voice. <laughs> you are the author of not one but two and a third one on the way of books, as we've mentioned. Um, the latest, which will have been released by the time this comes out, which is Help Self. Tell me a bit about where the idea came from for this one. I wanted to write a book that had a, a, a self-help vibe with a, a twist. I, I felt like a lot of the self-help books that I had read were almost felt like you were failing if you weren't doing what they'd written. And I wanted to write one that like honoured the ebb and flow of life and that you're going to get it wrong, you're going to repeat mistakes, and then you just like dust it off and try again. I wanted to honour like resilience over like this is the way it's done. I wanted to like be like, hey, it's okay to like fall back into old patterns. That's fine. You can just like if if you want to change it, you can. So that's what this book sort of was centered around and then I want to do you know a bit like no self-help is funny so I wanted to also like change it up with some like humor and make it a bit ridiculous but the, the best chapters in there I think are the ones about career I talk about being an empath and what that means to work and live as an empath um, and if you don't know what that is it's somebody who feels other people's feelings which is really bizarre read the book and you'll understand it I talk about breaking up with a best friend and how to deal with it it's basically a bunch of lessons I've learned. And then the byline of the book is learn from my mistakes so you can make different ones. And that's <laughs> the antithesis of it, right? Like you're going to make mistakes in life. There's no perfect way to do it. You can't, and, and, and that's fine. It's okay. You're a human being. Like you are going to fuck up. Um, and then just learn from the lessons and move on. Um, and the reason it's called help self is because nobody can help you except you. You've got to help yourself. It's about taking responsibility for yourself. So. That's my weird, weird way of uh, articulating what this book is and, and why I wrote it. <laughs> no, it's such a clever idea. And as you said, you cover all sorts of topics from career, family, friendships, romantic relationships, like literally kind of all the aspects. And you mentioned earlier that some people had kind of been, that have read it, had been surprised that like there were some kind of more serious aspects to that. Do you get, or, or going kind of deep, do you get that? a bit where obviously we know you for being very like light and funny that some people are surprised when you do kind of put your serious hat on. Yeah. It's like also I guess writing this book I kind of grew up writing it like grew up like in the process of, of writing because it took me a while to write and now like it's been two years from since I started to now you know so like two years is a long time and I am kind of serious and weird and quirky and esoteric and I guess a part of me wanted to reveal that in this book and be like there's more and there's more to everyone. You know, there's not just this one thing. And there's more. There's always more than what you see. And don't judge a book by its cover. And I, I, I don't know. People are surprised that there's more, but they shouldn't be because every human is 3D. I wanted to show the more, like, serious and intelligent side because as I grow up I realised that, it, like, I kind of need to show that to show the full gamut of who I am. Otherwise, I worry that people would compare themselves to me and go, oh, why aren't I funny and silly and irreverent all the time? Oh, I wish I could be like that. It's like, well, I'm not like that. You shouldn't compare yourself to me or to anyone you see on, on the internet or, or in any field because they're 3D. You're only seeing one side. And that's another reason I wanted to write this as well, to be like, there's more, you know, like don't compare yourself to the highlight reel you see. Again, on a bit of a lighter note, the there's a bit of a difference between giving advice and taking advice. So I wanted to know, is there a particular area of 
your life that you're really good at giving advice to other people, but maybe not so good at taking your own advice for yourself? Good. Uh, yeah, I, terrible at taking advice when it comes to anxieties and people being like, oh, you know, you could probably change your behavior around this. I'm like, no! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, of course. Or like um, my boyfriend always tries to be like, you could clean the house more. And yeah, I'm terrible at taking that. I'm like, no, I don't want to. I like living in filth. A hundred percent. Like I fucking don't have all the answers. And that's also what this book talks about. Like I don't fucking know. Anyone who writes a self-help book doesn't fucking know. It's filtered through their opinion. So like you can't take anybody's word as the gospel. There is no gospel. There is no one and no higher power in my opinion, telling you what to do and how to go about it. You've just got to find the best way that works for you. And that's it. It's actually kind of a like full on book now I think of it. (laughs) (laughs) No, dumb as well. I've got like a bunch of like um, first date, first date conversation starters. And they're like, do you think Santa and Mrs. Claus have regular intercourse? (laughs) Jack and Jill in the nursery rhyme were brothers and sisters, lovers, or business partners. Would you? It's a great one. Benny and Kevin. Did you have Tarzos as a child? Um, you know, it's. I've got like some date ideas from like first date to last date, or first date to like (laughs) five years in for your five year date. (laughs) Like, visit a GP because you're pretty sure one of you has IBS. You know what I mean? Like. It's, it's definitely got layers to it. In um, an interview that I read that you did in 2017 with uh, Mamma Mia, you talked a bit about, and I think this is something that a lot of people can relate to, you talked a bit about having kind of a bit of an inferiority complex, you called it. And I wonder when we talk about success, obviously it means so many things to different people, but has that idea of, or I suppose almost fear that this is going to disappear at any time, has that changed as the success has kind of stuck around or how do you define being or feeling successful? (laughs) Can I tell you, it actually gets worse the older you get. You're like, yeah, I I would call it a um, imposter syndrome. Yeah, it gets worse because sometimes, like I remember I did um, Husey um, we have a problem and I, the imposter syndrome was real on that day. I'm like, what the fuck are we doing? But the thing is like if I if I sit into it too much, I can't perform. So I've kind of got to like hear the voices and then keep going. But I definitely hear the voices, <laughs> like the voices that say, you shouldn't be here, they're going to find out, but they know you're not very good. But it, then the other thing is I've learned that everybody feels that. Some people are just better at hiding it than others. And yeah. I'm really honest can't help it because I, I I never went through media school like I did on the radio but like uh, everything that I experience and say is just from my heart just sort of scary and vulnerable but like I don't know any other way to be and without giving away too much from help self because obviously everyone listening is going to go out and buy themselves and their friends copies but <laughs> what is kind of the the one key takeaway or message that you want people to remember after they've read it if they just learn one thing from it, what is that? I've got this great quote in there from um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, of all people, believe it or not. I was walking past an F45 gym and it said, you either have results or excuses, you can't have both, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I was like, I'm not going into that gym ever. I'm scared of F45. 45 minutes is way too long. But then I thought I could apply that to my career. So I, I thought the one thing that people could take away from this book is you can have results or excuses. And um, I know which one I would prefer and you can only have one. So, like, don't look back and have a lifetime of excuses. Look forward and have a lifetime of results and great things because you don't want to regret anything. Your time here is short. So, like, fuck it. Even if you're in fear, go into the fire with fear because, yeah, you either have results or excuses. And it's better to, you know, be terrified and do it than be terrified and not do it because either way you're terrified. That's brilliant. I love that. The final question I have for you, Tanya, is what some people say is the hardest, but it depends on every person. So as I cast you away to Beauty Island, imagine that as you get there, 
a big wave comes and is about to take all the products that you've spoken about today and you can only save, you only have time to save one to keep with you on the island. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be practical. It can be, but it can just be what this product represents or how it makes you feel or whatever. And I give you endless amounts of SPF, so that's fine. But of the eight products. (laughs) I give you endless amounts of SPF. (laughs) We're very unsafe on Beauty Island. Yeah, this mascara tree. This mascara tree provide much share. But um, of your eight products, which one would you like to take with you or save? I'll take the mascara. I'll take the mascara and run. Brilliant. You'll have the best lashes on the island. Like, you know, it's so funny. I I think I learned recently because I used to be this brand, brand whore. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, if, if it works, it works. It doesn't matter. Like I, I used to have all these high brand stuff that just didn't work. And I was like, what the frig is this? I'm like, because you, you think price tag means, but not always, if at all. Like a lot of my skincare is Priceline stuff and it's cheap and it friggin' works. And this mascara is cheap and it friggin' works. So like if it works, it works. I reckon even if I was some big Hollywood star, I'd still be like, models prefer you. that's what we like to hear Tanya thank you so so much for your time today it has been so much fun and such a delight to talk all things beauty and career and books with you today girl I've got a bit dark soz Uh (laughs) (laughs) light and shade we covered it all (laughs) light and shade that's what you have at beauty island underneath the mascara palm trees (laughs) waterproof mascara palm trees but of course very Genius, genius. Uh, I tell you, I tell you one good product that you, everyone should invest in: a cream blush, girl. Ooh, do you- I love the way it sits into the skin, and you just look like ooh, a little bit of a mm, glow, mm. bit of a flush, bit of rouge. Yeah, I tell you one product to hate. Just before we end, I hate highlighter. Really, hate it. Hate highlighter. It's like, would you like to look sweaty? <laughs> I, I don't understand the hype. But anyway, I'll get off Beauty Island now. Bye, Brittany. I love you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beauty Island with the hilarious and profound Tanya Hennessy. You can find where to follow her, a full list of all the products that she spoke about in today's episode, as well as a link to buy her brilliant new book, Help Self, and listen to her podcast, I Can't Stop, in the show notes of this episode. If you fancy chatting more beauty, you can find me on Instagram. My personal beauty account is at BrittanyBeautyBTS, where I regularly share products I'm loving and talk about all aspects of beauty culture. Or you can sign up to my regular beauty newsletter, It's a Beauty, for my beauty column reviews and recommendations straight to your inbox. Thank you, and until next time, bye-bye.